After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Before we get to today's 100th edition of the Five Reasons Podcast with guest Dan Levitar, let's tell you about one of our great sponsors, and they are Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. If you mention Five Reasons when you call 305 680 1129 or come in you'll work with a dedicated manager not a salesman unlike other dealers Dural Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying experience that's Dural Toyota DuralToyota.com or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street and you know where you should go after you get that great new Toyota you should go where we had our watch party last week and that's Uncle Al's Cafe in Sunrise that's the new Uncle Al's Sports Cafe 10035 Sunset Strip it's on the corner of Knob Hill and Sunrise Boulevard, right next to the Doris Italian Market. They've got great specials there for Thursday and Sunday football. Thursdays, they're going to have $13 domestic buckets, $18 import buckets, and also $5, I guess you call them five reasons, fireball shots with giveaway T-shirts and hats. And on Sunday, they'll have a bunch of other specials, including some of those. And also, they're going to be giving away a television, which is something we did at our watch party, which was totally packed. Everybody had a great time. Make sure you try not only the wings, but the fried pickles. They are amazing. So it's Uncle Al's Sports Cafe and Sunrise, 10035 Sunset Strip. And now, on to Dan Levitard. Welcome into episode 100 of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Whittingham. Now that you found us, make sure that you subscribe. That just means hitting the follow or subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, CastBox, or any of the others where you find us. Also, make sure to find the other 12 podcasts in our network, we recently added one called Swings and Mishes. That's with Craig Mish. So that now we're now covering all of the pro teams as well as the Hurricanes here in South Florida. So check that out. He recently did an interview with Michael Hill, the president of the Marlins. Also check out Fish Tank, Miami Heat Beat, Ballscast, and all of the other podcasts in our network. Now the reason we're doing this today, one reason for this is that this guy has been uh, great to both of us over the years, uh, both myself when I was at the Herald and at various other platforms down here to Chris Whittingham when he was breaking into radio. So we want to say nice things about Dan Levitard, but the real reason we're doing this is because we've done 99 episodes and Stu Gotts leads in downloads. <laughs> and, 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 and we can't have that. We can't okay. have that. Well, can't. I don't think I'm going to top him. Stu Gotts is the, uh, is the most popular uh, member of our show. So I, I've got my work cut out for me trying to get more downloads than he's got. So uh, for episode 100, we wanted to, to top Stu. Um, we had Haslam, we had Chalmers, we've had a bunch of different luminaries on the program, uh, but nobody more than Udonis Haslam. More than Udonis. It's more than it's Udonis. Stu Gutz, or Stu Gutz Army at its finest. <laughs> luminaries. You <laughs> had luminaries. <laughs> I don't believe you've had any, and no one you've mentioned is a luminary. Yeah. No, well, maybe Stu. Guillermo. What was what close. qualifies as a luminary? How does one earn the status as a luminary? Well, you have to have... Like, be invited to dinners, right? Yeah, you have to be galas. Galas, Ga- yeah. galas, galas or as Greg Cody would say, gala. Galas. 
So uh, we're going to try to top that today. And what we're going to do today a little bit with Dan is make him slightly uncomfortable because I know one thing you don't like doing is talking about yourself. So we'll try not to push you too far. <laughs> Interesting profession, I'm sure. <laughs> <That regard. laughs> but we're going to try to get into some issues with you um, kind of about how you broke into the business, where the business is. But also what I really want to do with you is get into the personalities that you've covered and the stories you've covered over the years, because I think people who are just sort of have familiarized themselves with you over the past 10 years doing radio right. don't really realize what you were doing all the time before that. And I've the said, thing I was actually good at, the thing that I, <laughs> the thing, the, the thing among the things that we do that, yeah, I actually did was right. Well, and, and to that point, I've told, I've said this before, but when I was at the Herald in 2001 and 2002, uh, when you used to file the stories there on your laptop, you could see everybody else's story on there. And so I had access to that. And one of the things that I always did was after I wrote my story, I would check your column that you wrote and say, why the f*** didn't I just write it? <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that, that, that was kind of a two-year experience for me. So, uh, yeah, obviously we're familiar with you as a writer primarily. But I want to go back a little bit further than that because you've moved away from just sports over the past decade plus. But you obviously fell in love with it at one point. How? I mean, it was my father taking me to the Orange Bowl. Uh, my, my life was very small when I was young. Exiles can be afraid, and they were trying to make a life here. And so going to the Orange Bowl with my dad with, uh, like, the tickets no one else wanted to watch O.J. Simpson and the Bills. They were terrible in bad seats. And just he took me there, and I just remember. I don't remember a lot from my childhood. It was so long ago. But I do remember the size of my hand in his and him walking me through what was magic at the time, which is because my life was so small, the idea of a lot of people gathering in a place to cheer for something, like that's where it started. It started in the old Orange Bowl. Yeah, and that's sort of one of those, I think, most common experiences that's uniquely Miami. I, I didn't have that. I went to the Orange Bowl when it was kind of dilapidated and not really the center. Of, and so, like, I imagine for a lot of people, it's bizarre to think that Hard Rock Stadium can serve as a growing up ground for a self. That's what it was like for me. But when you're kind of in that experience and then sort of, you know, going on from there, where does sports end up taking you in terms of you wanting to turn into a profession? Well, I always wanted to be a writer. That's all mm -hmm. I wanted to be. Uh, it was something that I was told I was good at in high school, and, and it was the only thing I was told that I was good at in high school. So I just kept doing it because it kept getting reinforced. And then everything along the path broke for me in terms of the first team I covered at the University of Miami was wildly interesting. And then the Marlins come to town and people were actually, they wanted to get to know the personalities on a baseball team in a way they wouldn't even care today, I don't think. But in 1993, it was something different where you were introducing the players to South Florida. And so, um, yeah, just every everything everything ended up breaking my way professionally because I, I sort of fooled people into thinking I was a good reporter because I just had friends on the team who were playing whatever, you know, Tecmo Bowl in the uh, <laughs> in the dorm room with me. And they were happy and, and thought it was funny when they beat up the pizza man and get in trouble with the administration. And so I tricked the, the Miami Herald into thinking I was a good reporter just because I had a couple of friends on the team. All right. So we're going to get into some of the specifics on that as we go. But big picture, over time, as you were writing, did you fall out of love with sort of the day-to-day of sports did that change for you well i remember point? what what i remember specifically i was just having this conversation the other day with manny navarro because from this point you can you can mark this point sort of when things started changing in my career 
and moving away from newspapers. I was watching the Heat celebrate on the court in Dallas, piling on each other. And I was writing the game story or the deadline, the deadline column. And I'm like, I, I've written too many of these. Like, I'm not moved by this. I'm not. I'm trying to manufacture something. And it, it made me sad that night. It made Manny Navarro sad that night and made me pretty much decide I, I had to go in a different direction with my career. I think that happens to a lot of writers, actually. I think as you start to cover those events, you become numb to it a little bit. And, and well, also, I, I was tired of riding guys piling on the court or guys piling mm-hmm. on top of each other. Like, if I can't summon it then, though, in right, 2000, yeah. in the like, height of euphoria. I mean, yeah. it was Shaq and Dwayne Wade. Like, it was pretty cool. It was, you know, but it just, I couldn't summon it. It's funny because in my career as a writer, I went through a lot of those moments. And then I remember the celebration in 2010 when the players came down and I was with George Sedano at the arena that night. I think you were there too, yeah. right, Chris, yeah. as a fan. And I was sitting sit with, at the time I was just writing columns for the Sun Sentinel about everything. And I'm, I'm sitting there with George and I said, yeah, I need to cover this. Like that, that to me was the first thing that felt really big mm-hmm. in a long time down here. You know, that certainly know that we'll reinvigorated. That no, but yeah. that certainly reinvigorated because during those four years I was writing a lot, which is not something I was doing very much before then. How have you replaced the writing? You know what? I've been surprised by not missing it very much. I, I thought I would miss it more. It's just such a lonely suffering that I've just actively replaced it with communal laughter. I mean, you guys are building something. You know what it feels like to just uh, to share. Ethan, you come from writing, so you know how lonely that is. When I started doing PTI, I just saw what they had behind the scenes, and I'm like, I want something like mm-hmm. that. I want something where everybody's just around and they're 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 friends enjoying each other's company and so that's that's what this is but but the thing that you also say though is how rewarding of an experience being done and sort of being proud of what you've done is there sort of that sense of fulfillment because you you describe this stuff as cotton being television and radio as cotton candy all the time is there not a lack of sustenance but no there is a lack no there is a lack of substance there is not nearly the fulfillment in terms of Mm -hmm. a job well done when we are done with radio and television here is there was in writing where you are solely responsible. You got a blank canvas at the start of the thing and at the end of the thing, you're responsible for everything there and you're not sharing it with anybody. That that's the most fulfilling work that I have done. This I don't remember. When we leave the studios, I don't remember like and my girlfriend asked me, What did you guys talk about today? I, I hardly ever remember. <laughs> yeah. Like whereas I can remember things I've written from fifteen years ago. It meant more to me. Like this part of our success in these mediums in radio and television has been because I don't really respect them. Like, I actually yeah. respected newspapers. It was something that mattered to me. Yeah, that's why, to me, it's sad what's happened there. Because, uh, you know, I, that's the way I came up, too. And I think for people who are coming up in the business now, they don't understand what that meant to see your name in the newspaper every yeah. day. And, and, I, and I, I always hear, face. like, competition, like, oh, we want to be on D1 or A1 or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, that was a big mm-hmm. deal being an A1 story. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Right. What? Right. How? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember when I when I saw Whittingham's sensibilities taking over, I, I specifically remember where I was. I was at, pardon the interruption, I was talking to their second in command there. And I had just written a, an ESPN, the magazine cover story that I was proud of on Edger and James. And this was a young person who came up through newspapers, came up through Boston, believed in newspapers. Like, yeah, not reading that because they want like (laughs) one minute and a half, 90 seconds, bells and whistles. And it's what it's it's what it's become as the long form has largely died. All right. So let's get to some of the personalities that you've covered over the years. Um, You mentioned UM and I wanted to start with Jimmy, both on the college level, but also then obviously the, the four years, I guess, he had with the Dolphins. 
your relationship with him and what he represented to you down here? I was scared of him. He, uh, I remember uh, as a freshman on campus, I was walking to, I had to live in a hotel across the street until the dorms were ready. And so I was walking evidently through one of his practices without really knowing on, uh, thinking I was on the fringes and he just came and that's my first meeting with him was him just ripping me up and down to get the hell off his field. And I'm like with a book bag and I'm 18 years old. And I'm like, why is yeah. this? I wonder, you know, I'm just terrified. And uh, I felt that level of intimidation for Al Golden. Imagine we're like with Jimmy Johnson. It was the tie. And so just over the years, um, I've seen Jimmy Johnson change more than just about anybody I've ever covered. In fact, uh, he and Wayne Huizenga talked a lot about QTL quality time left. And so I have. I'll stop back if I'm in the keys. I'll stop back at his place because he's just a different human being. He's yeah, a different human being in every way. He, in fact, makes a gagging, vomiting sound when he talks about his time in the pros, even with all that success, because of he was looking to the coffin of his mother when he's you know mm-hmm. sobbing and realizing he doesn't want to coach the Dolphins anymore, and his sons are holding him up in the funeral parlor, and he just sort of decides right then and there, oh, this isn't for me anymore. And Huizenga, I believe, offered him the, the, the ability to just coach home games. Yes, he did. To just coach home games, and he's like, no, man, I can't do this anymore. And so he's really happy, and uh, and it and it's just it was cool to watch the – because he's got his guest room in the Keys. It's filled with, like, you know, pictures on the boat with Gene Hackman and every magazine cover in the universe back when magazines – mattered uh, you know on sports illustrated covers and he's just left the whole thing behind in a way that makes him really happy but uh, man i always loved how unafraid he was like you know i don't like the cliche coach speak and he was he was rarely that yeah no he definitely didn't care actually i think they offered to let him just coach home games and then the solution was to go get dave from naples actually to coach the team that's right but he was acting as the assistant head coach in charge of defense but basically coached the team that last season and that was that was the transition. Is that is that is that QTL thing something that you've taken on board in your personal life? Is that like a genuine life lesson that you've taken? I on haven't board? I haven't been doing a whole lot of mortality checking. I this is I, I don't mean me. I mean in that sense, just in terms of enjoying moments and not sweating small stuff. No, but or, this this job has allowed me this job has allowed me to not grow up. It's part mm-hmm. of the appeal of it that it can be forever arrested development in some in some form. But uh, the answer to your question is yes. You've seen people who listen closely to the radio show can hear like the letting go of the reins where we're allowing more people to do more things. And hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll be able to oversee this in a mm-hmm. few years without having to do it every day. Did you develop a relationship with Shula at all? Because, again, you started in 93 at the Herald. So we're actually talking 25 I, I, I know your father still hates him. Oh, man. Well, my father, the only time I've seen my father dance in the street was when Shula was fired. because It's because he never forgave him. I don't remember. Oh, I, I wrote that Jimmy Johnson should be the next head coach of the Dolphins while he was still the coach. And so he called me to his office. And I, were you ever in Shula's office? And I was in Jimmy's office and Saban's office, but never Shula's okay. office. Okay. Well, it was, it was Imperial. It was big. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had a remote control for the door. I believe that that's where that started. In like a lower like fashion? I mean, no, I don't I don't believe it was in a, a sexually aggressive fashion. That's not what I would accuse Don Shula. No, I but, mean like he could close the door with this remote control. Well, yes, but also his desk was much higher than the se- the seats of his guests, um, right? And so but he had called me in there basically, so I extend my hand upon arrival and he just stared at it. And so I'm like, did you really call me in here just so that you can stare at my extended hand? <laughs> and then he started letting me have it. But uh, later in life, he was somebody who, I guess, forgave me at some point and, uh, for writing that blasphemy. 
Is that something that, because you say all the time, you don't like firing coaches on the radio. Is that kind of an experience, like sort of an inflection point where you stopped doing it after that point? Well, I it, it wasn't because of that, although that was just, and Ethan can speak to this, that was just a young columnist mm-hmm. sort of trying to find his voice. And so, yeah, I, I, I have not written many columns like that and didn't want to be known as somebody who was always firing the coaches, but it was extenuating circumstances. Jimmy Johnson was a pretty attractive hire. Yeah, I think people forget that, uh, what the excitement level was about Jimmy at that time. I mean, yeah. That was supposed to take the Dolphins to the next level in 22 years But later, my viewpoints have all changed on that over the years, right? I think those those guys are less important. Like, mm-hmm. sure. just everything. It's I, I'm sure you look back at a number of things when you were young and writing and you're just trying to find your voice and there are some things that you wish you had back. Well, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson. I want to get back to what you said earlier, which is you had friends at the University of Miami that helped you tell incredible stories. Can you walk us through what some of those experiences were like, how you became friends with them, and then the stories that let, that sort of were the product of that? Well, we were going to school with them, and mm-hmm. they were also, a lot of those guys like Lamar Thomas and Russell Maryland and stuff, they were coaching our intramural team, and that was always funny because we That's were amazing. Te- well, we were terrible at it, but what would happen is we ended up in the finals one year because they just intimidated all the refs. <laughs> All the refs were terrified of them because they would they would like get angry and yeah. stuff and we'd get we'd get every call in every game. But what I remember sort of as the inner workings, Charles Farms, who later after school lived with me for a while. Charles Farms was they had just lost to Notre Dame and Jimmy was immersed in the whole everybody didn't want them talking trash and swaggering. And so like he said, anyone who talked trash would be bench and then charles farms ends up going out with me to a cemetery wearing a shirt that reads shut up bitch and he he wears all black on game days because he's in mourning for the other team and so he's leaning on against a headstone with this after jimmy johnson said anybody who trash talks talking all manner of trash and then jimmy made him the captain that way. So, like, <laughs> like, so jimmy was trying to placate uh, the administration but what what i actually trafficked in back then that that ended up being some colorful writing is how much those players embraced the idea of everybody mm-hmm. like just yeah. everybody and Jimmy was in their corner so Jimmy had them why, why though because that's a dynamic that I don't really understand like administration now because of the U documentary it's kind of been sort of sanitized but back then it was not back then it was a totally different dynamic and so for the coach to be you for the players to be you and them to kind of get together on this, it strikes me as something that I don't think would ever happen again. Well, they were aligned against the president of the university, Thaddeus Foote, who, you know, if you look him up, was the sort of the the, the character, mm-hmm. the Dean Wormer character in Animal yeah. House, sort of like stuffy education and stuff. His picture is on one of the walls in the student center. It looks exactly what you imagine it to look like. But I understand that tension. They were at the forefront of that tension where... They wanted to be considered an academic university. They wanted to be Harvard of the South. He's trying to build that through academia, and all they're getting attention for is the way that their football team behaves or doesn't behave. I want to move to Pat Riley because obviously that changed this town because this was a Dolphins town and it was a Hurricanes town, and that team was kind of going sideways, didn't really have an identity. He shows up at the Carnival Imagination with Mickey, and everything changes. How did your relationship with Pat start? I was just fascinated by him going out to those practices at hospitals and Lutheran churches that they were doing at the beginning before they were sort of before he figured out how to how to run an organization. And over the years, he just picks a couple of writers in whatever cities that he's in. And I I don't know. I've never asked him this, 
but I, I'm going to assume that it's because he liked the way that I wrote. And he just, yeah, he just granted me access because he liked the way that I write about him. And over the years, I would call him a legitimate friend. We'd become friends. Is he misunderstood in any way? Um, misunderstood. I, I don't think that maybe people know that he's not Armani and he's more street fighter, but he's also street fighter with like just romantic where he'll cry. You know, he's got a record collection, an old record collection. He'll cry with song lyrics. Like I just, I believe like it's an, an he's an interesting, there's a lot unknown about him. I don't know if it's misunderstood as much as it is just not very understood. Has the image been cultivated though? Um, like that, like did he did he want that or well, did he happen into well, it by well, coaching the Showtime I mean, Lakers? It's it's a couple of things, right? He learned from his father. He learned the idea of always dressing impeccably when you go out, and then all of a sudden he's got Magic and Kareem as a whatever it was a traveling secretary becomes coach of that, and then I'm pretty sure he had a deal with Armani because he helped make Armani popular in the United States, and he was going to be in the Tequila Sunrise movie, the, the role that eventually went to Michael Douglas. Is it Michael Douglas? Oh, no, Kurt no, Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt I Russell. always confuse those two. With Michelle Pfeiffer. Right, right. He was going to be in that movie, and I guess Los Angeles helped him cultivate that, and he fed the mythology of coach worship because it served him. You, uh, you've you seen him at his most vulnerable a lot of times. I, a couple columns about him that I remember vividly was obviously the time that he was at his desk and Zoe had to come in and tell him to talk to the team because they were sitting Go there. Go do your job is what i mean he was he was crying at his desk and so went in there in uniform and told him to go talk to the team so as well as you know him and we talk about the heat a lot on our pod obviously because it's kind of what people come to us for how do you think this ends for him i mean because he's gone through this interest i mean he's built basketball in this town that legacy is secure that will never change um he's made if you if you talk to people under 40 in this town they don't know the Dolphins as ever being any good. I mean, they're, well, he they're got, Heat fans. Cody the other day was talking about how UM, he was talking on the radio about how UM is now, you know, has seized this town. And Riley texted me while he was talking <laughs> saying, like, why does he keep giving the town away? Like, why, why, <laughs> why? Because why? every time Cody's trying to change the, whose town it is, it's a Dolphin town. And so I told him that uh, Cody is one of two doddering old men I keep employed out of pity. <laughs> But it's but to a certain extent, I mean, it's true that I mean, over the last twenty years, I mean, he's made this a heat town, and now they're kind of in this space that I don't think he's ever been in before, which is just in the middle. They're they're just average. Like they're either usually always building to something or they are something. I don't know what they are right now. It's it's all the more remarkable in retrospect that they've never you know been like the Sacramento Kings or the Hawks who go from winning sixty one to what they became, or the or the Bulls who go from winning sixty and then. That they were able to redo the roster, what was it, three times over 20 years and keep it in a place that it's not today. But, uh, yeah. I don't ever like the criticism of a game passing someone by, and I would never accuse someone with uh, Riley's pedigree of having had that happen. But if you were trying to construct the argument, the way that it would happen is long-term deals to Dion Waiters and Hassan Whiteside as the whole game changes to the perimeter, and next thing you know, you're in purgatory and you're locked up for two years with a bunch of very average players and no stars. He knows you can't. He's only one with stars in this league, and he knows you can't win without them, and they don't have any of them. We'll get back to Dan Lebitard here in a second. But, Chris, something else we've been doing other than taping podcasts this week, you and I have both gotten involved with Bet. 
DSI. And I can tell you, watching the Canes game the other night, a little bit more interesting because I was hoping <laughs> that the Canes, the Canes could come back and cover by two and a half. Didn't end up working out so well. And then I was kicking myself because I didn't bet Virginia Tech when I wanted to. But Chris, we've got a great promotion for people if they want to get involved before a big football weekend. That's right, Ethan. When you look at this upcoming weekend, it is the weekend. To sign up with BetDSI, we've got a full slate of college. We've got a full slate of NFL games coming up this weekend. So you're going to want to start your account ahead of that Falcons-Eagles game that opens the NFL season. Then you have a full litany all Sunday, two Monday night games, the full college football slate. Giancarlo Navas has been betting the U.S. Open. It is an incredible time to get on to BetDSI.com. And be sure to use the promo code REASON101. That's REASON101 when you sign up so you can get your initial deposit matched up to $2,500 with BetDSI. I want to get to another of the uh, the origins, though, that you had. You had the Canes, and you mentioned the Marlins as well. First from the expansion team, that's a very kind of foreign idea to me. I had a VHS growing up of that first game, but that's really my only connection to it. So uh, with the original team, and then I think one of your favorite characters is Jim Leland mm-hmm. and the way that he you know, also had a lot of don't give a bleep. So what are your favorite Marlins memories? Well, there were a lot of, there There have been a lot of people in, in my career down here who have been supportive. And the, the story that I remember about Leland, because God, was he good to me for, for no good reason. Um, he, he has everyone traded away and he's just sitting there complaining about the fact that he's like, I, you know, I had a world series champion. Now I've got it in center field. I've got a truck driver. Again, they sent me a truck driver. <laughs> Eric Owens isn't a baseball player. This show is sponsored by better help. What's the first thing you do. If you had an extra hour in your day, go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami heat game. I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com, slash Miami Heat. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. He's a truck driver, and he's just, and all he's doing is telling these wonderful stories. He's like, I don't understand. Sandy Koufax, Sandy Koufax, 90, 90 miles an hour right down the middle, strike three. 90 miles an hour, strike three. Antonio Alfonseca, 96 miles an hour on the uh, paint upper deck. I don't know. <laughs> and and so there was one time, and this was just at the very beginning of my ESPN career, and, you know, they have this laughing stock. They trade for eight days of Mike Piazza. He's got nobody on his team. And and it's the last 
story involving these Marlins. And so they asked me to do a Sunday night conversation with Jim Leland, but I've got to get him to agree to it. Right. And he's mad because Eric Owens is his center fielder <laughs> and he's losing, going to lose 108 games. And he spent 30 minutes in his office in front of the team president berating me, telling me how I am taking advantage of his misery and he would never do this. And then at the end of it, the president gets up and walks out and Leland looks at me and he says, Dan, I'm like, yeah, will it help your career? <laughs> Let's go do it. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, no, yeah. They, no. They were, they, yeah. The coaches have been good. All, all of them. The coaches have been good to me in this time. Let's move to some of the players here and kind of your memories and and relationships with them over the years. Start with Dwayne and how that's evolved over the years. I can just speak personally, sort of watching him grow since he came in as a rookie and now what he is. But your interactions. I mean, it's been a pleasure to watch him grow up. He has been since the very beginning, you know, a pillar of class. I remember his first season, he was doing either a weekly or a biweekly radio hit with us. And he was just very good to people from and and remained that way throughout the entirety of his career. I don't know how he feels about me right now. I'd have to ask him because I know there have been a couple of times in his career he's been mad at me. One of the times was on PTI where um, I said he and LeBron were spending an offseason chasing perfume, and he didn't like that so much. Um, <laughs> and and then I don't know whether he uh, where he is with me now on the last column that I wrote about him and the Heat. I, I know he was hurt by that. Well, I felt like that was a weird situation for a lot of reasons because what happens with organizations is and players is they try to get their stories out. And that was strange because you had two sides trying to get a story out instead of communicating with each other. Well, but he mistook that. He thought somebody wrote that for me. That's never been the case in my career. Like I was just writing something. I wasn't writing something because somebody told me to write something. So I just, uh, yeah, I thought it was the end of his days. And mm -hmm. so, but regardless, the guy in his career, there hasn't been anybody uh, who has been classier. And in terms of, like, he really did teach LeBron, taught him, because the, the Heat were amazed by the fact that LeBron was doing those twice daily media sessions. Mm -hmm. And he was doing them because he was following Dwayne's lead on, on just about everything while he was here. In what other ways, though? I mean, in, in what other ways, do you, like, because Dwayne teaching LeBron in some ways feels patronizing, right? That you're saying that, you know, LeBron James, who is his very much his own man, like, do you feel like that happened here in Miami? Like, do you feel like he developed that almost adult-like voice? Well, that's that's what pissed Dwayne off about that column, is the idea that he might be going to Cleveland to join LeBron because he wasn't his own man. But I don't think that would piss LeBron off. I think he'd give credit. Dwayne was very much in an older brother role while he was here, and, and LeBron was absolutely following Dwayne's lead on that. I think LeBron would tell you that himself, even though he was the better player yeah i think he did really well when i was up in cleveland i just i can't tell you how many times during that 14 15 season that lebron would tell me i miss Dwayne. i mean he'd look at Kyrie and say i miss Dwayne." Right. i mean that, that's what he was dealing with up there which is why again it wasn't surprising that that played out lebron i never got to know lebron in any meaningful way i mean he was mm -hmm. professional with me but i can't say that i had any kind of uh relationship with him it was only interview settings and it wasn't anything else so i can't mm -hmm. i mean i wrote a lot about him and i talked to people about him but i can't say that uh lebron is a uh, is a person that i've uh, gotten to know do you think he embraced miami in retrospect and he said it was a college experience for him that because he never got a college experience but in retrospect it becomes fairly obvious that he was renting here that this was this was 
something to legacy pad, resume pad, enjoy. What, what he got here when he was 25 years old. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed uh, the club scene down here, and uh, that might be why his wife doesn't want him down here. <laughs> a couple, couple others I want to move to you with um, Shaq. Shaq was always very accessible, fun, interesting. Uh, you know, we had we had a big party here during a Super Bowl one year during the uh, I remember the cocaine days of seven ninety uh, back when uh, you know the Versace <laughs> Mansion was when you know was what they were renting. And that, that uh, is some adjective, cocaine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those were. <laughs> It was an interesting time because we were having parties. They're having a party at the Versace Mansion. It's the Super Bowl party, and it's Shaquille O'Neal, and we're hosting it. And there's Tom Cruise, and what the hell is going on around here for a station it, event? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, Tom. Yeah. No, no, we Tom were, Cruise. No, wait a minute. But you missed. We had the Versace Mansion mm-hmm. for the right. for the for, the, for Super Bowl week. It's like the pool parties are you know to at the height of to. Uh, yeah, it was it was a fairly ridiculous scene. What were we talking about? Shaq. Shaq. Ah, yes. Yeah, so that was his birthday party. Yeah. Was that uh, was that night? But Shaq, over the years, uh, also has uh, he has been very small with me. He gets very sensitive mm-hmm. about what you would or an I might think are very small things. And so, uh, yeah, Shaq came up on on me and Bomani one time in the. Like, imagine that because it's like an eclipse, um, and he wasn't. He was humorless. He was humorless about like. He was saying things with no smile on his face that suggested that he wanted to snap the, both of us in half. <laughs> Which he very easily could have. Yes, he could um, have. You, know, you, you said the other day, I think it was in the build-up to the uh, UMLSU game, that Michael Irvin is the cane that most represents canes to you. Is there a particular reason why, and, and what was your experience covering him? Oh, I mean, um, my first experience with Michael is that he was going to give me the story about him going pro early before his junior year, and then he did not give me Um, And I I had another experience with Michael. Um, (laughs) I buried in the 20th paragraph of a story about the Eric Rett going to nightclubs during Super Bowl week that the Dallas Cowboys had a house for women who weren't their wives or girlfriends that they called the White House. Um, And that evidently brought Michael some trouble that he didn't really... (laughs) want or or need uh but to to this day he remains something something i i am proud of this i wouldn't say i'm proud of very much but through all of these relationships that we would talk about whether it's riley or michael irvin these are people that i've hammered in print and uh they haven't held on to it so that one michael irvin you can imagine if michael irvin said he never wanted to speak to me again because uh, yeah that was an odd story to report that there was a, a, <laughs> what, a where, where, i mean if that's in paragraph 20 I mean. but, but i want to ask you about that because that was always one of my issues when i was writing because again when you're traveling with a team too you know what's going on like when i was traveling with the big three heat for four years you know what's mm-hmm. going on you stay at some of the same hotels you know and that was always you know a line for me you just don't you just don't go to the personal stuff like Someone plays poorly, and you know they were out till five in the morning the night before. You mm-hmm. kind of just shuffle it under the rug a little bit, and then the story comes out. Everyone's like, "Why didn't you report that?" And it's like, "Well, a relationship with these guys, it's not really relevant." How did you draw those lines? Because the Irvin thing, I mean, yeah, that became a big, big story. I mean, the White House is—if you know those Cowboys teams, you know about the White House now. Um, how did you draw those lines? I—I I mean, it was—it was ever changing, right? Sometimes well, sometimes poorly. Like I'm trying to manage in some of these instances conflict of interest where I have relationships on people telling me things, but my governor tended to just be like, what's most interesting? Like, can I ask Derek Thomas if all, if he was ejected from a Monday night football game because 
Shannon Sharp had trash talked him about a woman that they were both with. And so would a reader find that interesting? I mean, what's yes or yeah, no? One hundred percent. I mean, like, I mean, I mean. Basically, and, he was he was giving out the phone number to him, right? Right. The, like, yes, and, and, he, and ju- he jumped oh off sides and times, personal yeah. body details. Yes. yes. Right. What? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Look at you, the, uh, Whittingham's Puritan heart has been his prude and repressed heart. He did what during a football game? Yes. And Wait, Derek Thomas. So, so this is who? So this is Thomas to Sharp? No, or no, Sharp no. To sharp, sharp, sharp to Sharp. Sharp to okay. Thomas. May he rest in peace. Yes. So yeah, just uh, the the governor tended to be what. What's interesting? What's most interesting? And I wasn't, um, and like if I had that one to do over again, I'd probably do that differently too for a number of different reasons. Like I'm because not sure. I'm just one not sure. I'm not 20. even sure I should have been reporting that. Like thinking back on it, it doesn't seem like something I would do as an adult. Because why? Like what am I? What am I bothering the poor cowboys for if they're being? not faithful in their marriages. I'm a Miami Herald columnist. What am I doing? Well, D- Dan, I felt like that all changed uh, with A-Rod, actually. I feel like the, the moment that that changed in terms of the way that the media started covering that stuff was when A-Rod walked out of a strip club in Toronto while he was still married, and it was on the cover of the New York Post. And, and, and to me, that, like, that had not happened Your, before. Yours is Tiger, right? That's yeah. where it changed that for me. But no, point. but Ethan, I remember what Ethan's talking about mm-hmm. there because it felt uh, very gotcha. It was a picture taken of Alex headed up to his hotel room with mm-hmm. someone who wasn't his wife through some like ferns and stuff. Uh, but yeah, for me, for me, the, the coverage of that stuff all changed before TMZ with, yeah, that Tiger Woods where he was running with Jordan and Barkley and, and that circle of people. And we had never reported that sort of stuff before on them. So why would he think we'd do it to him? But you're saying, you said earlier when it came to the, the White House anecdote that your, your governor was, what's interesting? And I think there's some conversation, and you've, you've had it allowed on the air before, about is what's interesting necessarily relevant to the public space? And I think what's probably happened in the last 10 years is that what you think is interesting is uh, is one standard, but are we really in a place to tell people what they believe to be interesting? People find the White House thing interesting. People find A-Rod walking out of a club and some guy in the front taking a picture. So are we even really in a place now, and, and this is where the media has changed, to be governors on that, or do you just lay it yeah. all out there and let people decide what they think is interesting? Well, back to the journalism standard that Ethan and I grew up studying, the New York Times would have, once mm-hmm. upon a time, the idea of philosophy, we will tell you what's interesting mm-hmm. by where it is that we place it, but not long after that, they were doing American Idol updates on the front page because right. commerce and interest dictated it. So, uh, yeah, you need to, you need to shift there. We've, uh, we're proud of doing that over time. Like I've given up on those fights. I follow interesting. Today's episode of the five reasons podcast is brought to you by green light tech. Every sport needs a team. Same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing green light tech the full-service concierge IT company that gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even manage your vendors for you. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-325-9997. That's Greenlight T-E-K. Mention this ad and get a free assessment. Sign up and your first month is free. Be unstoppable. Greenlight Tech. Another great sponsor of the Five Reasons Sports Network and a big sports fan too. Precision Health Care Billing. You can check them out at phcbilling.com or call 561-926-1600. 
1-800-227-8025. Precision Healthcare Billing specializes in home health billing claims management with programs for all medical practices to manage their revenue cycle. Denial and rejected claim reconciliation, free on-site consultation, over 10 years experience and locally owned and operated. Also fully HIPAA compliant. Again, reach out to Dave, Precision Healthcare Billing, big Miami sports fan, phcbilling.com. What, in, in your view, is the uh, the state of the business now? Because we've talked about that a little bit throughout the course of this, but obviously it's changed, it's fragmented. But how have you seen it, uh, not just the coverage of stuff, but the way it's distributed? And also, we're in a very sort of politically fractious time. And you're on a show that goes to a lot of different people, some of whom don't agree with you politically. How do you manage that? Man, you know what? That the that has shifted so much under my feet and even the last five years. I've never thought of myself as someone who talks politics ever. I don't do a political show. I I have liberal leanings, just I want the players to be able to celebrate and speak freely. Like that's it's not mm-hmm. it's not a political stance. I'm not I'm I'm not sitting here waving a, a party flag. I talk about race a lot. And that's moved over the last five years. Well, I'm talking about it less than I used to, just because the conversation has gotten it's so fractured and and so ever present that we're doing that less than we have a good amount. I forgot what the question was. Well, but- I, guess, I guess to that point, you you are, and we have you know we have a lot of guys obviously in our network who follow you pretty closely. They grew up with you in a different way than than maybe I did working you know with you and, and joining a staff you're already on. And they've noticed that that it's gotten less about race, less about politics at a time where everybody else is talking about it more. So I was just curious if that's a, a conscious decision that you've made or it's just sort of happened because it's not worth having some of those fights anymore. Because you were ahead of your time in that regard, but now I feel everybody's doing well, it. Well, I, I do feel like this is gra- uh, ground that we have plowed, even though that it has, you know, some things that may appear day to day that might be stimulating. But, yeah, that that part of it has become a bit uh, tired to me where like i mean how many different ways what's when's the last time you heard something interesting in the last year that you thought oh i hadn't considered that when it comes to the kaepernick stuff give me a thought that yep. someone has uttered that you haven't already heard so and we're, we're doing this podcast today on a day that there was something major with kaepernick yeah right i mean and i and i thought mike with a great point on the show which was we're doing this for a third year in a row mm-hmm. three years in a row we're doing this and like you said it's such plowed ground that's like, Mm -hmm. what what do you even say that's new or different? And so one of the things that we've made a conscious effort toward around here, and I don't know, like I've been surprised by the freedom ESPN has given us, but like the safest space for us in terms of keeping the audience happy is, are we laughing? Mm -hmm. And that's not a subject anymore that we can have a lot of fun with. We were having a lot of fun with race as a topic 10 years ago, we can't even do that anymore. So, yeah, that part, uh, I, I don't necessarily miss it so much, though. I'd rather be laughing here. It's it's a nice escape hatch. So the business itself, we talk about the content of it, mm-hmm. but obviously the content distribution business is different, and you moved away from newspapers. I know you still have a fondness for newspapers. Where do you think things are going? Everybody seems to be making the same mistake, though, which has been fascinating, right? We've talked about this. This is where the newspaper industry died. It died... Uh, because they're sitting there saying, okay, our business model is to give you tomorrow, yesterday's news tomorrow in your bushes for 35 cents, or you could get it immediately on your computer and not pay anything for it. Now, it's not hard to see from there mm-hmm. where it is that 
the money disappears. Now, radio's done the same thing with these podcasts. AM radio, you see it going down, down, down everywhere. Why? Because if I can get it on demand whenever I want for free, why am I going to listen when you need me to listen? Which is 99% fewer commercials. And now television's headed the same way. Netflix is over here saying, we're not going to compete with television. We're going to be television. We are going to replace television while network television continues to be sponsors and not giving you the binge watching that you need on demand. It just, it's fairly amazing to me that all of the industries are making the same mistake. Yeah. And it's basically the technology is the only impediment from accessing a much better product. And once you have a group of people that know how to access that product, then the whole business model gets turned on its head. But the thing that those older entities keep chasing is the glory days. Someday the glory days will return when we made millions of dollars on classified ads or cable subscribers, and it's just, it's never going to happen. It's great for the listener and the viewer and the reader, though, because the top 10% is better than it's ever been. It's a golden age of entertainment with the amount of people throwing money at your options, your free options. Yeah. So you just renewed uh, with ESPN, and so where do you see this in five years at this stage? What, What do you want it to be? I want it to be, uh, and if you're here on a day, it's already becoming that uh, sort of a pit crew of content that's running out of this building that may or may not have me doing it every day. We've got a couple of projects that are unveiling here soon. I don't know what I'm allowed to say about them or what I'm not allowed to say about them, but it's going to be a family and friends endeavor over the next four years so that we're creating a lot of content out of this this space in the Clevelander. And then hopefully, you know, I can have one of the deals where I'm coming in and out of it as opposed to needing to be here 250 days a year. And in terms of building out everyone, obviously part of your way of doing that is giving everyone here license to create. I would say from my personal vantage point, Ethan has his own experience from writing and, and that my personal vantage point was from the moment I set foot as an intern like eight years ago that you look at a lot of the big personalities. I would say you were among the first to allow everyone within the space, the people in the back room, the guys running the board, like that's not something that you see in a lot of radio shows is giving those guys a chance. But I told and, you what I and, wanted. And you, I right, t- exactly. When I saw it at PTI, I saw it behind the scenes. They were just having so much fun laughing with each other that... Uh, but, I, but I would do it's a very a lot different. It's a lot different being behind the scenes versus in front, like allowing your name, your platform to be given to other people. But I, I would have done a horrible radio show by myself. It's not a talent that I have. Like there are certain people, it, it, it's a special talent, ego, narcissism, to be able to <laughs> listen to your own voice for three or four hours. I needed it. I, at that point in my career, I needed something communal because what I was doing was too lonely. How much of the way that you approach things came from others that? were around when you broke in because I, my personal vantage point on this again, um, I broke in at the post in 96. I went to the Herald in 2000, 2001. I remember a a meal you and I had at Canelo cafe, I believe, um, in Miami, which again is not something that everybody does in this business. You know, you were Mm -hmm. trying to give me sort of some pointers on where to go. Um, but I also remember how generous Edwin was. (laughs) I mean, I always tell stories about Edwin on the road where you'd be at a bar and, all of a sudden, I'll be right back. And then all of a sudden, everything's paid for by for 20 people at a mm-hmm. bar, and Edwin's just kind of vanished off. But I, I've always felt from my vantage point that the way that he interacted with you and with others there then sort of fed the way that you approach things. Is that accurate? Yeah, well, because um, those guys were very graceful to me in a business that's wrought with ego and insecurity where I was the hot shot up and comer and 
you know, you hear horror stories of Mike Lupica, you know, devouring his young in New York and stuff. And so they were very good to me. But I, re I remember going, I remember sort of where my attitude shifted on some of this stuff. I was going to do the sports reporters and it's New York, it's Times Square, it's the height of our business, right? It's, and I'm, I don't know, I'm 29 or 30 years old and I'm walking into the place and Bob Ryan's breath stinks and there's $7 <laughs> worth of bagels on a dirty counter from whatever it is that people in New York were doing the ESPN zone, which included urine and vomit. And the furniture is old. It's like old furniture. And I'm like, this is the height of the profession. At that point, I had sort of been doing the sports reporters the way I'd always seen the sports reporters done, which is you go there and you play the formal journalist. But then when I got there, I'm like, is this all there is? And I'm like, I can't do it this way. I'm yeah. not, I'm going to see if I, I can zig when, when others are zagging. We've got another new sponsor to the five reason sports network, the attorneys at Seltzer Mayberg. You can find them at onecalllegal.com. That's onecalllegal.com or call 1-855-5000-LAW, L-A-W. They handle cases including but not limited to car accidents, slip and falls, criminal immigration, family bankruptcy, real estate, wills, trusts, and estates. And they have a new 15,000 square foot office that will be opening on I-95 in North Miami. They will handle cases all over the state with a specialization for South Florida. Call now with 24-7 service for a free consultation. That's onecalllegal.com, 1-855-5000-LAW. Tell them five reasons sent you. The final thing I want to do here is a little bit self-serving, but uh, you know we're starting something here. You guys started something on your show more than ten years ago. What would be your? I think it's, I think it's fourteen years. It's fourteen ago? years. Yeah, ago. Fourteen, 14, 14, 14, 14, 14, fifteen. Fifteen yeah. years. Yeah, two thousand three. Right. What would be your advice to somebody? We've talked about this a little off the air, but I'm just curious for your more in-depth thoughts. And what would be your advice for somebody starting a project now in this market? Um, in this market, you have to be different. You have you cannot give people something that they're getting everywhere else. Like it's advice that I have given for a long time because I remember in those Marlins clubhouses early the way the pack would just go to the manager's office at a time. And I'm like, do I want to go do that or do I want to go talk to person X over here and do something different away from the pack? I would say that there are so many people at this trough right now that the only way that you can get any traction is if you can figure out a way to be unique. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but if you can find an, it, and it's not great advice, right? Because, oh, be, just be different than everyone else. But I would say don't do it the way everyone else is doing it. Any thoughts for Stu before we leave here? Just for <laughs> Stu Gotts. I'm not going to get as many downloads as he, as he gets. He, uh, what's happened with Stu Gotts might be the most amazing thing that I've seen happen around any of us because he is lovably immoral, uh, just corrupt at his core, and still people like him in a way that uh, has been really magical. I, 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 my, my new nomination might be the love for people. I, I was at uh, AT&T Stadium on Sunday for the Miami LSU game, and I was hanging out with Mike at halftime. The number of people, like, it just, like, I imagine you get, you know, where's Bobby? Like, the, right. the number of people, where's, that, where's, people? where's oh, he's, he's in the suitcase, he's yes. in the luggage. Like, I was blown away by, in, in the space of a week, I don't. I don't think that any of us ever understood uh, what the, it wasn't a plan to right. to make this show as sticky as it is. But stuff like that is always surprising to me. The uh, way that it gets that sticky. I mean, we had uh, at our first watch party a couple of weeks ago. We had the Guillermo Mafia show up uh, with yeah. T-shirts. So I. That's I mean, funny. I. I mean, I've said before this is the number one uh, sports property down here. It has been yeah. for a while, and and obviously, 
um, that's expanded. Well, Dan, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for doing this. Episode 100, and uh, you will beat still. Keep, uh, keep being different, guys. Keep uh, carving your own path. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.